Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern CFO Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Seski. Today, I'm joined by Luke Jodet of Ariani. Luke, thanks so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. So Luke has been running this firm, co-founded actually, and has raised capital through a unique way, which we'll get into uh, several years ago through what was, again, a great, great exciting time in 2017. Is that right? So in 2018, so we, I mean, we started the project in 2017 with uh, with my, my co-founders, where we're five co-founders now. And we really, you know, started with some interviews with brands. And then once we, we, we had kind of like the, we figured out what the brands were really looking for around the initial idea. We wrote what was called at the time, still called, which was a, a big thing back then, a white paper, which really describes the entire concept that we want to develop, and then uh, raised what was indeed called at the time, or still called an ICO, right actually the tail end of the ICO craze. So we really like were a bit late to the party since we raised in 2018, between May and November 2018. So that was really like right after the craze. Fund was a bit difficult. We still raised a, a decent amount since we raised uh, about $3 million. So let's dive right in on to what Ariana does. So it's really updating using the latest technologies to ensure authentication of high value branded products. Is that a good way of putting it? It's a good way of putting it. Really, the idea is to create a digital identity for physical products. And we started with phys- with products of high value, in particular, the luxury industry. And there's really three reasons um, uh, you're creating those digital identities. The first one is really a, it's a proof of authenticity, uh, meaning it's uh, it's a, a way to, to figure out that your product is actually uh, real because it was created by, the passport was generated by the brand. The second one is a proof of, of um of property, uh, so it's a proof of ownership that is because it's freely transferable from one owner to the other. And the third one is really the history of the product because every time your something happens to your product, you can record, you can notarize a new um, a new event in the um, the NFT or in the, the passport of the product. So so it's really like a digital passport for your product, and that enables those those three uh, main features. And for those who don't know how incredible this is. Luke's got one of the few ICOs that have been really successful and continue to grow. For those who don't remember, in 2018, at the beginning, in one month in January, something like $500 million had been poured into ICOs over the excitement of utilizing blockchain technology across a number of industries. And today we are, you know, really, really (laughs) excited to chat about one of the projects and one of the initiatives that's stood the test of time and a real, really great use case for using the tech and streamlining a number of really inefficient systems. It's true that the bar is quite low. I mean, just being alive four years later is uh, three years later is is already uh, already a big thing. That's true. So the title of the podcast is The Modern CFO. Can you tell me a little bit about what that means to you? And I think that you really represent the cutting edge of what a finance professional looks like. Modern technology and a decentralized team. You've got team members across the world. So could you tell me a little bit about what that means to you? Well, especially for what we're building, where we're actually the there's a new way of financing. There's also an entire aspect of what you know of our of, of what we're building, which is a an economical incentive uh, infrastructure. So that there's more than just so I mean classically the the work of the CFO is to manage, uh, you know, not do the bookkeeping, but manage the books, manage the treasury, you know, have financing, um, 
manage some of the, uh, especially in an early startup, manage a, a lot of the regulatory risks, and in general, deal with the, the corporate structure and how to, how to manage this. So, of course, you know, accounts every year, organizing uh, the different, uh, you know, legal requirements linked to a, a corporate structure. Deal with investors, of course, raising funds uh, and so forth. Now, we have an additional layer because of our blockchain and crypto infrastructure or architecture is that we have to deal with those crypto incentives and the life of a token. So the entire protocol is actually completely, completely decentralized on a on, on an EV, on an Ethereum uh, a virtual machine, uh, so an EVM based uh, blockchain, and on the Ethereum mainnet, if you're familiar with it. And on there, we have a the only way of paying for the the service that we have on the on the platform is with a crypto token. So you need to really create those sorts of incentives and manage also uh, how people have access to this token, which is the only mean of payment. So to me, that's kind of like the, the modern CFO for, at least for what we're doing, the CFO starts encompassing a lot more aspects uh, than just the, let's say, the corporate management side of, of activities. So what do you think the most important aspects and traits and skill sets are in your role? And that may be relevant for others listening. You know, especially in the in the crypto space, I would know that the first major hurdle, like a lot of emerging industries, was regulation. Just an inconsistency across you know different uh, different countries while trying to you know really finance something that was gaining international attention. So, what do you think are the best traits to kind of carry in terms of both operation and reprioritization pathway that you have to constantly be on top of? And maybe include how the excitement around blockchain technology has kind of ebbed and flowed. I know today that Bitcoin is trading over $50,000 and Ethereum is, uh, you know, approaching $2,000. Is that volatility something that also causes excitement to learn more and be more educated for, uh, you know, some of the companies you work with as well? Yeah, so a big aspect of what we do is education around the subject uh, because it is a new, uh, it's really like a financial innovation, the entire blockchain and crypto sphere. So a lot of, the, of our work is, is educating the different brands that we work with. And the first two and a half years we were educating, but there was not no, there was uh, no craze or no no actual uh, really strong interest, not, not strong interest, but, but there's no, not really demand, not really any demand. It was like people were interested in the subject, but it wasn't something that they felt pressured into going. This has changed dramatically in the last six months because of the bull run. So the bull run of Bitcoin, which whose price was multiplied by five, uh, and Ethereum is six. Uh, I think it was multiplied by six now between last summer and today. But uh, I've actually seen something even stronger. Is that ten days ago when um, Elon Musk and Tesla announced that they had purchased for. You know, 1.5 billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. All of a sudden, I have a lot of corporate, you know, executives and, and directors who who I speak with who are actually now actively asking me. It's like, and, and I can see actively considering. It's like, is it something that we should do? To be fair, Tesla is, is not the one that really started this craze. Michael Saylor of uh, the CEO of uh, MicroStrategy is really the one that launched the subject when in September he bought for I think it was 600 million, no, 250 million dollars worth of uh, of Bitcoin for his treasury for. MicroStrategy's uh, treasury and really presenting it not as an investment, but as a treasury management, being like it is an edge against debasement of the currency and really having a, a structured uh, uh, discourse around why Bitcoin was something that every modern CFO and CEO should have on their on their books. But 
even though he's the one that really did a lot of the groundwork and explanation and, and you know crafting the, the the message and the idea ultimately you know it's a, when the, the richest man in the world communicates and, and say an entertaining man on top of that communicates on the fact that his company which is also a company that is uh, <laughs> quite emblematic now bought you know for over a billion dollars worth of bitcoin i guess that's where really it becomes mainstream and everybody starts talking about it and i recall elon being skeptical would be a good way to put it on uh, the adoption of a lot of uh, different cryptocurrencies and you know the kind of change of tune i think is surrounding uh, an underlying frustration with the way things are being handled and i think a lot of light was shed on operational and systemic failures during the pandemic so when you found so about that michael Saylor actually says it it's like in 2013 he's on the record saying that he thinks bitcoin is something that's going to disappear it's completely useless and then he said really the, the pandemic and the, the K-shaped recovery is what really changed his mind about Bitcoin. And it seems like the decision to get Bitcoin on the on his balance sheet is something that uh, really happened half after the, the start of the pandemic. So it was a, it was quite a quick turnaround and a major change in his uh, in his thinking. And and his idea was really that, you know, we're printing a lot of dollars and, and so dollar is not the best way to, to, to keep your treasury. And, you know, we talk about you being a, really a, a pioneer and vanguard of early days. I think most people who had a philosophical introduction to the space, it normally was around some event. And I think a lot of it really started in 2008 during our housing collapse here in the U.S. And you actually started a company. Most people talk about it being a part of the space once they few white papers and put some dollars into the system. So... Do you have the same kind of philosophical underlying or did you see a market inefficiency that you wanted to capitalize on or maybe a, a bit of both? First thing is I'm an entrepreneur first and not an investor. So I have to admit that Bitcoin, I first heard of it, I think it was 2013, um, like a lot of people with the, the Silk Road uh, kind of news where it was you know, announced that where we discovered that one of the, the big use cases at the time for Bitcoin was to purchase, uh, uh, you know, illegal products on a, a dark web uh, platform called Silk Road. That's the first time I heard of it. I heard the kind of the libertarian pitch for it. And I, once again, not an investor at heart, um, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, and the idea that it was, you know, a better version of gold, and it was the, the kind of digital gold, was not something that convinced me because uh, I have to admit, just uh, the first thing is that I don't even think gold is a is an interesting uh, investment. It's not productive. It's not something that I you know that as an entrepreneur I understand. So even though I own Bitcoin now, and I, I do think it's a, it's a it's actually something that you should have on your as a personal investment, say a wealth management strategy, it's not something that of great interest for my activities. The real thing that got me to change my mind was, was when Ethereum was introduced in 2015. Because Ethereum was really the idea of creating a more than just a digital gold, kind of like a, a store of value. It was actually building a decentralized computer. Uh, the idea being that I could actually write some code, push it on, uh, on Ethereum, and it would exist as long as Ethereum keeps on running, and there was no way to censor it. That was, to me, fascinating. So I really got to the crypto world and, and, and got into it much more involved with Ethereum. Um, and especially because at the time, uh, before I actually had a previous company that I co-founded was a uh, renewable energy marketplace where we facilitated um, at a buying and selling of renewable energy in, in Switzerland, uh, renewable electricity, and mainly hydro and, uh, and solar uh, for large uh, corporate accounts. So we had like 
different banks, insurance companies, construction companies, uh, purchasing the electricity directly to producers of renewable energy in power purchasing agreements um, contracts. And at some point, 2016, so I'd already heard of, of Ethereum, already interested, but right 2016, I actually got a call, several calls from different um, different people who were asking me, oh, you do energy traceability, do you use blockchain? And I was like, no, I don't use blockchain. And they were like, oh, you should look into it. So it kind of was my, my excuse to go down the rabbit hole and in the end figured out that Ethereum and, and blockchain was actually not a really good technology for energy traceability. However, I became really interested in the underlying technology. And that's when I, I started looking for an actual opportunity for something that, that made sense and that use case without any the, the digital identities for for product is really what the best use case I found the most mature, the most uh, the one that really had the most chance to work. That's really what I what attracted me to this project because it was a way to use that underlying technology in a way that made sense. Thanks so much for that. That's really helpful. I think it would be interesting to help connect the dots for maybe some listeners who are aware that these currencies exist, but maybe don't understand the difference between purchasing ETH on, a, on an exchange versus actually utilizing the technology in the way that you do through creating this digital passport. So for those who don't know, the digital passport that Ariane uses actually is a non-fungible token. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yes. So can you explain a little bit more about the process of what it looks like to take a high value branded product, say something valuable like a watch and create a digital passport and actually record the authenticity and maybe some of the provenance of the product? Yeah, of course. So the uh, a non-fungible token is really just in a way a tradable record, the same way a an Ether or a Bitcoin is, is a tradable unit of a tradable record. The difference between a, a non-fungible token and a and what we call a fungible token, which are you know your Ethereum, your Bitcoin, is that when I take one Bitcoin and another Bitcoin, they're interchangeable. It's the same thing. Or if I take one Ether and another Ether, it's it doesn't matter if I have this Ether or this Ether, it's always going to be the same. I don't have any preference. It's the same thing as a dollar bill in a way. If you gave me this dollar bill, another dollar bill, it doesn't make a difference. It still has the same utility, same value. A non-fungible token is the idea that actually here one of those tokens is not exchangeable, is not the same as another token. So technically for us, it's um, so for instance, we work with uh, with Breitling and we create uh, passports for every one of their watch. Every one of their watch has a serial number. So every one of their digital passport is unique because it has a different serial number linked to the, the non-fungible token. And so your non-fungible token, your NFT is unique because of that serial number. And that's how you actually record the fact that this digital passport is linked to this watch and this digital passport is linked to another watch. I've heard that there are some luxury watchmakers that have literal signatures in a book after purchase. So do you see this as uh, the future of the way that all high value items are going to be checked for authenticity or maybe even more so on making a, a very transparent supply chain. Where do you see the future value of having these records easily accessed? You know, is there going to be some sort of innovation that you can then leverage from that? Or is it purely uh, capitalizing on this inefficiency? The real reason we really see a, in the longer term vision is the idea that a digital identity for every product actually enables an ecosystem of services. 
So what do I mean by this is the, the fact that you can prove that you own a real product. So you, you can prove that you own, you know, a Brightling watch, for instance. You can then imagine having access to a lot of different services, um, such as, you know, one-click insurance. Today, if you need to uh, get insurance on a watch, you actually need to provide three um, documents. One is the proof of purchase. So like the receipt of your, your purchase, your invoice. Another one is a little piece of paper um, that is called a certificate of authenticity, which is something that is uh, ubiquitous in the luxury watch industry, which is basically a little piece of paper, the signature we're talking about, you know, signed by the, the watchmaker that says the person that actually owns this piece of paper owns a real Breitling. And then the third thing you need is this little booklet, the, the, the servicing booklet, because uh, especially if you want to be able to resell easily your watch, at a higher price, you, know, you you actually need to show that you've serviced your watch on a regular basis. And usually what's estimated is that a regularly serviced watch actually has a resale value that's about 30% higher than a, a non-serviced watch. So today, all those things are, are for most brands, it's all paper-based. The idea of what we're doing is actually replacing it by, uh, by a digital um, identity digital record. Why blockchain is interesting here compared to you know, a regular database is that when you're talking just about a database at you know, Breitling, at uh, the different brands, then this is all controlled by Breitling and uh, it's not truly transmittable from one person to another freely. The good thing with the paper-based you know, solution is that well, once you have the paper, just like a, you know, a, a physical dollar bill, you can give it to another person, your physical proof of authenticity, paper-based proof of authenticity, and, uh, and little booklets and paper-based invoice can all be given you know, from one owner to another. When you're talking about something recorded on a centralized database, then it's actually something that you all have to ask permission to the, the brand here with a, a non-fungible token on a decentralized platform you can transmit it freely to the next uh, owner. And another reason why what we're building re really worked with the, uh, the luxury watch industry is because the resale market, uh, secondhand market for luxury products is worth about $21 billion per year. And, uh, and it's, it's booming, it's growing really rapidly, but actually three quarters of it is linked to the, the watch industry. So resale, reselling your watch is something that is, or your, your luxury watch is something that's extremely developed. It's actually the, the product that in the luxury industry is the most resold. And what we're building here is really something that helps, you know, that uh, or fluidifies that market to actually resell your, your watch later on. It's not the only thing, of course, you can do, as I said, one-click insurance. Um, we also have like recommend special recommendations. You have the idea of like being able to access VIP, um, special VIP clubs based on your on your uh, on proving your ownership. We actually one of the brands we work with told us that because they're a really high-end uh, watch brand, when they launch and they don't sell, they sell only a minority of their products via, uh, via um, their own stores. Most of them are sold via third-party retailers. So they decide one day to launch a VIP club where you have to register you know, at their, on their website to say, hey, I am actually an owner of Vachon Constantin and I'd like to have, you know, be part of that club. And here, the issue was not that they didn't have any, enough people, is that they had too many people sign up. They had more people sign up for that club than people that actually could put, possibly own a, a one of their watches because they know how many watches they sell and they could see that they had sold <laughs> less watches than people who had, uh, who had uh, registered. So here with that proof of authenticity that's, that can be, or that with that you know, digital passport for the product can be transferred from one person to another, you can actually prove that you own, that you're a real owner of that watch and not just someone that, that wants to have access without being an actual, uh, you know, actually part of the club. 
I'm really glad that you took the time to help explain that you've been in projects that are not good use cases for the technology. I know that there was a, a number of projects with a uh, just trying to utilize it in a way that was going to end up being more costly to the firm or just really clunky. And you found a really great kind of niche to drive mm -hmm. forward, not only just a, a really good application, but also be right at the front edge of the education process. So when you talk about blockchain, I think there's a really good so there's one thing that, that you know, the listeners should really remember is uh, there are a lot of people. I mean, you, you hear it sometimes like everything will be on a blockchain one day. I, I don't think so. And uh, the reason why is because actually blockchains are I mean, are slower than regular data than classical databases. And even though it's going to, you know, scalability and, and all improvements are, are going to make it a little bit less clunky <laughs> compared to what they are today, they will always be slower than a regular database. However, so databases will always be, you know, regular databases will always be um, necessary. However, the way it's usually uh, um, described, you know, best, uh, Ben Horowitz of uh, Anderson Horowitz actually is the one who came up with this, uh, this analogy. Is the idea that blockchain is a new platform the same way the mobile phone was a new platform. And uh, mobile phone, for instance, when the first time you had it, if you put a, a spreadsheet like Excel on your phone, I mean, that doesn't work at all. And even today, with your bigger screen, you know, more sensitive screen, it's still a bad experience to try to use a spreadsheet software on your on your cell phone. Your computer is still better than that. However, your, your cell phone or a mobile phone comes with a bunch of other features that open new perspectives. And uh, for the mobile phones, it's uh, the idea of connectivity. It's mobile. You can actually take it. You have that 3G connectivity. You have the GPS. You have a camera. And, and all those things are what makes it not superior to a computer, but you know a different platform to your computer. And blockchain is the same thing. It's not a superior technology compared to as you know a SQL or, or no SQL uh, database. It's a different platform that actually has this decentralized uh, aspect. And, and the decentralized aspect is, is just as interesting as what I was saying. It's like when you're on a centralized database, you don't really own the data that you own. That you, know, you don't own your record on that database. There's always a, you know, an admin sys that can delete it. When you're on a blockchain, you actually the, the owner the, of the record, the owner of the non-fungible token of our passport, is the true owner. Meaning, there's no admin sys that can come and delete it or, or change information. What it brings is really that that same um, level of ownership for a digital record that you have when you have a, a physical paper-based record. The, nobody can just from there, from far away, take away your physical passport or a physical dollar bill, let's say. Well, same thing with Bitcoin or with a, a non-fungible token digital passport for us. And nobody can actually from uh, from anywhere can take out, the, you know, take away your ownership of that digital record. So let's chat a little bit about short term and maybe long term. What's exciting right now for I know that in the future, we'll be able to have one click insurance and we'll be able to democratize access to a whole suite of you know financial services. So maybe we could talk about that in a moment. But we just came through a pretty challenging year in the world. You know, we're a number of miles apart at the moment, but 2020 was a very, very challenging year for uh, you know, the entire world. So coming into 2021, what's the major focus this year? What are you most excited with? Can you tell us a little bit about maybe some exciting brand partnerships that uh, you're looking forward to? And then if you want, please feel free to expand out, you know, what's really exciting you in the, you know, you know that these, some of these operational challenges will be solved in three to five years and the space will continue to develop really rapidly. So maybe if you could give us kind of a short term and, uh, you know, what's exciting, you know, on the, on the horizon. 
So first of all, the 2020 for us was challenging, let's say, on an operational, I mean, on the, on the operations, because we had like a lot of people had to be you know, lockdowns and have to had to move to a full remote you know, way, way of operating. So our entire team is actually fully remote now. We still have an office or a couple offices, one in Paris and one in, in Geneva, but it's 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 barely used. However, on the business side of things, it's been it's been actually it's nice for us, but it's unfortunate for the world. But it was an accelerant, really something that really accelerated our our business. Um, the fact that you know everybody was remote. A lot of the brands we work with had you know invested heavily in uh, in in store experiences, and with the idea that stores should actually be uh, you know a prime place to. Uh, or really an important focus um, with this kind of idea that it should be more than just a place where you come and see a product and, and buy it, but actually a place where you come and spend time and live and have a, an experience more than just a place of purchase. Fortunately, the COVID crisis kind of you know scrapped all those plans, and they in a lot of those brands were in a, a situation where they had to you know they saw digital and new digital experiences as a way forward to get out of this crisis. And so that's, for us, it's really been uh, you know, a real boost to our operation and to our business. So once again, 2020 was challenging, but actually it wasn't bad for business for us. So now for 2021, the main thing for us is launching more and more brands. Brightling was the first brand to actually put our, our digital certificates on every, our digital passports on every one of their watch. And since January 1st, every single one of their watches has a is sold with an Ariane uh, passport. We have uh, Bash, who actually uh, started a first public-facing uh, uh, program where um, it's actually to facilitate resale. So on one of their products, they put the, the irony certificate, which once you, you know, after six months of, or a year of owning, you actually want to resell. You have an easy uh, one-click solution to just, uh, you know, with, with, our, with our digital passport, get all the information about the product that you actually own and transmit it to a resale platform and really reduce the, the hassle of posting your product on a, a resale platform. We have Vacheron Constantin, who was actually the, one of the earliest, uh, one of the first brands who to work with us since um, almost the beginning of 2018, who now is actually going on their full um, production, and that should start in March. And we have a bunch of other brands, which I'm not at liberty to <laughs> talk with just now, that will be launching between Q2 and, and Q3. The communication with, with luxury brands is always you know, something that's under tight control, but there are going to be some amazing news for sure. That, that's incredible. Congratulations. You know, just before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about something that gets you excited about the maybe closer future than we realize in terms of decentralized finance. I think in the world of you know, private company stock where Enthround operates for the most part, we see a huge, huge movement towards making you know, pre-IPO companies more that stock more easily tradable. And I think that does trickle down into the ecosystem that you're really helping push into development with, you know, other illiquid products, goods, and services that may never have been traded again if they didn't have, you know, the ease of having something like a digital passport. So is that something that's still uh, kind of top of mind for you? So absolutely. I mean, one of the beauties of blockchain is is what is called composability. So as I said, um, when you, you have one of our passports, it's yours and you can decide what to do with that information and who you want to share it with or not share it with. And uh, and since you can share it with, uh, you can give access to you know different uh, protocols that, uh, that you might be uh, interested in using. Today, one of the, the fastest moving uh, 
development in, uh, in in our sector being developed on Ethereum, but also on some other blockchains, is what's called decentralized finance or DeFi, as they, they like to call it. Um, and here, it's it's really the idea of recreating a lot of the tools that the regular or the, the let's say the the old school financial or centralized financial sector um, actually uh, created. So you know, collateralized uh, lending. Um, you have. Uh, Synthetic products, futures. Um, one that I'm particularly interested in uh, interested in is uh, lending because um, a protocol called Aave actually started. Um, so Aave really the way it works is you put a you put some Ethereum on in collateral or, or a cryptocurrency in collateral and you can use that as a collateral to borrow another uh, cryptocurrency. However, they're starting to experiment with real life, you know, with real life products. And those real life products, uh, the one they're experimenting with is real estate. Soon you'll be able to use tokenized real estate as a collateral for a loan on Aave. And because, um, you know, some of the luxury products, um, whether it's, you know, emblematic uh, pieces like a Birkin or or really high-end watches are seen as an investment and as a reserve of value, I'd be really interested in, seeing, in actually starting to experiment. We're starting to experiment with the idea of using those, our digital passport um, as in the product and the underlying product as a collateral to get a loan on Aave or other platform. Like you know, there are plenty of others, like Compound is another of those lending platforms. But using you know a tokenized physical product to as collateral to get a loan um, is really a, a way for us to to open up you know a, a, a utility of having those tokenized or digital passports that we're, we're making. So this is a huge benefit to existing owners of high-end goods. You know, one of the things I was thinking about uh, laughing at just before we hopped on was the fact we both have our road bikes in, <laughs> I've got mine right next to me. You've got yours just behind you. Is uh, cycling something that's been helping you uh, stay sane and getting in those workouts? Or are you reading anything that you'd like to share for other people to go check out? So that is actually one the stationary road bike and coupled with Zwift is actually kind of like my big discovery. So I've been cycling for a decade now, but I've never done, uh, you know, stationary cycling. And um, but unfortunately, when uh, confinement happened, we were not allowed. At the time, I was in Paris. I'm back in Switzerland now, but at the time, I was in Paris, and uh, you were not even allowed to, you know, go out for sports. So I purchased one of those um, <laughs> those stationary uh, smart trainers and Zwift, and actually, it became something that I'm, I'm really interested in for my regular business because there were. I discovered first that it's actually not, it's actually the experience is of course not the same as being on the open roads, but you do find a lot of the the same exhilaration that you have with, with cycling. So uh, drafting is something that drafting with other people, so the idea of really you know, being in formation and being in a peloton is something that works on Zwift. It's not perfect, but it you do get that kind of feeling of, of draft. And then the second aspect is you have those products that you you can purchase and, and improve your bike which is i mean i have a you know, carbon bike and that I'm, I'm really proud of a certain part of cycling is also you know having some good gear that you're proud of and yes performance is something of course but but there is also an aspect of you know just having a, a nice bike is also something that you're happy about and uh, and and it just does it's a part of the sport <laughs> exactly, but so so Zwift has has this aspect of like you can actually upgrade your your bike and everything. And, and what we're really interested in is how you could actually you know bridge the physical and digital world. Where if I have you know this bike here, which is a Trek bike, Trek frame, 
it would make sense for me to be able to use it on Swift, for instance. If I have a digital passport for my frame and my wheels and all the different parts of my bike, maybe I can reconstruct it on Swift and be you know, able to actually ride my actual bike on Swift. It's, it's something we're interested in for other video games as well with uh, being able to, and, and, and here Fortnite's really, really been an inspiration is if I own, you know, a pair of sneakers, sometimes you know, a lot of sneakerheads actually just buy those pairs just to store them because they, you know, if you wear them, then they're not in mint condition anymore. And so it's, uh, it's, it's, you're ruining them, but you could actually imagine, you know, with a digital passport, buy them, keep them in the box. So they're not, not ruined and actually uh, wear them in a digital world, whether it's Fortnite, whether it's a, uh, uh, Call of Duty or some other of those worlds. There's really something interesting with bridging the, the physical world and digital world with and being able to prove in the digital world that you own something and being able to wear it there. And that to me became really evident with the um, the lockdown where you know you didn't have that many chances to actually uh, uh, get your so for me my, my nice bike out. But I, I end up spending you know a lot of time uh, online. So. It started to become actually interesting for me, this, this entire idea of, of wearing a product in a digital, digital world. That's amazing. So where can people go to find out more about Ariani? Where can they go and find more out about you if they want to continue to hear some of your thoughts? And I know that you're going to be you're building and driving this entire piece of this industry forward for you know, years to come. So where's the best place to reach out to you and to track the company's progress? So you can find us on our website is ariani.org and um, we are on Twitter. So Luc Jodet, L-U-C-J-O-D-E-T. That's my handle on uh, on Twitter. And uh, otherwise, lately I've been spending actually uh, a bunch of those Clubhouse rooms. So if you're on Clubhouse, I'll be happy to, <laughs> to, to chat as well. We're also on Telegram if you're interested or if you're more tech inclined, we have a Discord. You can find all of this on our website and we even have a, a monthly newsletter if you want to keep track and receive news from us every month well thank you so much for an incredible conversation this is the first podcast i think that i've gotten to say the words bike birkin and blockchain so pretty excited about this episode so we'll uh we'll let you hop and uh, continue to build out great company and i'm looking forward to circling back soon but thanks so much for being on the modern cfo podcast thanks for having me